You are listening to Love Your Practice with Dr. Laura Mock. I'm a general dentist, a practice owner, and a certified life coach. I teach women who own dental practices to lead with intention and literally fall in love with their businesses. Keep listening and you will see how learning to love your practice turns into loving your life too. Hello again and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Love Your Practice. I'm Dr. Laura Mock and this episode that's about to play is with a, it's an interview with a fascinating woman who helps people like us as practice owners be better prepared for emergencies or for selling our practice, you know, so that we can like move to Montana and grow lavender for a living, right? So listen to this amazing episode where we really talk about how to be better prepared from the perspective of someone who has seen it all. All right, ladies, I'll see you on the other side. Okay, well, I would like to welcome to the podcast today, Miss Mary Fisher Day. Did I say that right? You said it perfect. I don't know the rules about um, miss or miss. It's not miss, is it? Uh, it's Mrs. It doesn't matter. It's just Mary. It's Mary. <laughs> My friends call me Mary Day just because the Fisher hyphen is legal, you know, but, you know, we know a lot of people who have been eight. Anyway, so yeah, so welcome to my podcast. Thank you. I'm really glad you're here. Like, um, you know, so we became friends through Do Dental Entrepreneur Women, which some of my listeners are familiar with. And just we have a similar, I guess, vibe, maybe. Plus, you know, some really smart things that can help my listeners. So I thought, gosh, we should we should make some time to um to spend a little time making my listeners' lives better by just learning about some of the smart things you know. Right. Good. I'm but, happy to do it. <laughs> I know. I appreciate that. And I, I let, let's pretend you're in an elevator at a dental meeting with somebody. Okay. Not the one where you fall over and break your arm, which you did at Hinman. Last yeah. Week. yeah. Just you're in an elevator and someone's like, hi, I'm Laura. What do you do? Like, what's your short version of how you describe your role? Oh, the good old elevator speech. Yeah. <laughs> well, I help dentists who are unprepared and underrepresented work through the transitions in their lives, specifically buying and selling a dental practice. And additionally to that, I help them in preparing to buy or sell a dental practice. Okay. And this, this preparing part, I think is what fascinates me because like you said, before we pressed record, there's a lot of things that we don't think about in being ready either for an unexpected transition or a planned one. And, you know, sometimes we dentists, we sort of hit burnout or like overwhelm. And then we go, I don't want this anymore. Get rid of it. Sell it. I don't care. And if we approach it like that, then we end up with less of an asset. Is that you correct? end up with less of an asset, less control over the transition of your practice, and it will, in many cases, hurt what you expected your legacy to be, okay? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the power is being taken out of your hands if you're not prepared, okay? Yes. Uh, you're going to have to take what you can get as a buyer is what I'm saying. 
being prepared to sell helps you have some control over who buys your practice and what your legacy is once you are gone from the practice. Yeah. So my typical listener is not really like preparing to sell right now, but at the same time, my typical listener probably fantasizes about selling her practice at least once a year, (laughs) maybe more, you know, and my goal for having you on is to help her just know that she, she knows what she needs to do when it's time. And she knows what she can do right now to help herself during that. And then also to help her be ready just in case there is an emergency or an unplanned thing, like maybe an injury to her neck or her hand, and she's got kids and, you know, how do we get from an injured hand to, you know, raising the children and selling the practice and that type of thing. So before we talk logistics though, I'm just super curious, like here you are, you're smiling at me. You're clearly a very intelligent woman. How in the world did you get into this super specialized niche? Because you're the only person I know who does exactly this. Tell me how you got here. Yay. (laughs) So, well, I don't know how far you want me to go back. I'm not going to go back as far as I could because I've been in dentistry since 1983. Okay. Yes. Many of your listeners weren't born then. (laughs) I was eight, but yeah, Yeah. a lot of listeners are in there. So I went, I was, I did go in very early. My dad's best friend was a dentist. I graduated from high school early, didn't know what I wanted to do, went to dental assisting school. I'm a little bit of an overachiever. I was outstanding clinical performance, outstanding class merit award, and I was still supposed to be in high school, you know? Yeah. So, and we had, and then that's back when dental assisting and dental hygiene schools were like military boot camps. You oh. know, I don't know if you heard, but they were, they were tough on you. And so anyway, did that. I assisted for a while, became an office manager. And then sometime in the late nineties, I was um, asked by APTCO to, yeah, to join them uh, in their practice management consulting division, because they had heard how that that was my niche and I loved it. So I did that. Um, I trained and I did that. And just because a lot of people maybe haven't heard of APTCO, you were a consultant, basically. You helped other offices improve their performance. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. AFCO had a, pro- a program called Management Management by Transit. Um, yeah, Transition Management. In other words, we help the doctors when they buy, make sure they're going to be successful, get them set up for success, okay. really help them. Or, and again, back then, if sometimes we would help them before they were selling too, but it was a management division of AFCO. Okay. They decided two years later to focus solely on transitions. Transitions is definitely more financially rewarding than practice management. Mm -hmm. Ask me how I know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Pause for just a sec. I actually, when I purchased my practice, it was through AFCO. Okay. Just because that's who the seller had signed up with already. I didn't find them using AFTCO. He was in my area. So I found him that way. But um, I just wanted to say that we have something in common. Yay. So AFTCO's model is dual representation. Yep. 
and I will just flat out say, I don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Mm -hmm. when they went to solo transitions, the owner, Alan Thornburg, asked me to join in the transition vision and handle North Carolina. Mm -hmm. I declined because my passion was practice management at the time. And I already knew from what I'd seen that I didn't agree personally with dual representation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, I opened the dental business. I was able to launch the dental business. Okay. So you, you said no to AFCO moving on and then you went out on your own. Yes, because they closed their management division. So I didn't have a non-compete. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I launched the dental business, bought the domain, got the website started, all that. And I kept my practice management consulting business going for until just like two years ago. But okay. in that, in, during that time, Dr. Tom Snyder from used to be the Snyder group ended up with Henry Schein practice transitions mm-hmm. um, called me because I was trying to find a good brokerage firm for my clients. Like, you know, here I came from AFCO and I'm seeking out other brokerage firms and that's, that yeah. may sound bad, but well, no, it's, it's because you don't agree with the dual transition thing. So, right. you, yeah. Dual so I read every, every article I could find by transition company owners. And mm-hmm. he was one I emailed and he called me back. We had a nice long talk. And then he asked me if I'd ever thought about doing transitions. And I kind of laughed and I told him, turns out he came from AFCO too. So <laughs> after dental school. <laughs> so um, he, um, he said, come talk to us. So I flew to Philly and spent some time with them. And we agreed that I could keep my consulting business and work for them part-time in the Southeast with practice, man- practice transitions. Transitions. So selling yeah. and buying. Yeah. And they did a intense training. I mean, I went through a lot of training with them. They're very, very, um, and very comprehensive. One year later, I get a phone call from the owners that they sold the night before to Henry Shine, practice transitions. Mm-hmm. Now I love these guys still, but you have to know, I, I spent that time building relationships with Benco, Patterson, Atlanta Dental, Nashville Dental, all of that. Yeah. And Shine, all of a sudden, all my friends were gone. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't, you know. They, they, they were competitors then all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's hard. I, I get it. I get it, but that was hard. So, but I, I loved the leadership at the Snyder group and the three of them and me were the only ones invite, invited to come to shine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they had other people in my role. So I was honored. I did it and I did shines practice transition training as well. So I have all kinds of trained yeah. <laughs> and um, stayed with them for almost 10 years. Okay. I resigned from that part of my life from being a practice broker with Henry Shine in February 2018. Okay. There was a non-compete I had to deal with. <laughs> so I dealt with that and that's fine. I, I did it, did fine. I spent that year um, really just working on what I want to do in the future and realized that pivoting the dental business from consulting to helping the doctors with the problems I witnessed during the 10 years of transitions. Okay. Mm -hmm. Buyers and sellers are underrepresented Mm -hmm. and underprepared. Both are. 
but they have these advisors that advise on specific things. And they're assuming between all of their advisors, they're going to hit all the marks, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen that way. There's so many things that you docs need that your CPA, your attorney, even your broker cannot. They don't understand what I understand having the practice management background and the brokerage background. I know the missing piece. I'm not saying there's not another person on this earth that does, because I'm sure there are, but I can tell you there's stuff that's missing that would be so beneficial for y'all. So that's, I've pivoted. And so now I do practice transition. I'm a, I'm a personal practice transition advisor. So this is really interesting because your history is so important to anybody listening to this. All of a sudden we can see very clearly what you do you are very well positioned to help us be ready, basically. Okay. As it, I mean, because almost everyone who listens to this it would be considered themselves a seller, not a buyer at this right. point. There are right. some people who listen who are looking to buy a practice, but most of us are would be on the selling side. At some point or, yeah. yeah. And and also docs like yourself who does are ready to bring an associate in and maybe let them buy in a little bit and buy and then mm-hmm. buy them out. I'm I'm seeing that happening too. So there's all kinds of interesting ways to do this to protect yourself, but most of all, you've got to protect yourself. So yeah. well, okay, so let's dive in. Like, what do you mean I have to protect myself? What are you talking about? There's things you need to do to be prepared. Even in case of emergency, the number one thing I recommend every dental practice owner have is a baseline practice valuation. Okay, so was that something that we do once a year or? No, you don't have to have it remade, redone every year. You get your baseline and then every year or two, you can even do it every two, assuming that your health's good and you're not (laughs) every two years. We just get the tax returns from the two years prior and see if there's any updated. There's a few questions we'll ask and we update the valuation, okay? Why is that important? It's because if something were to happen for one thing, it's like another life insurance policy. Two, if something were to happen to you tomorrow and you cannot come to your practice and work, how how long is it gonna take the the person who is the executor of your estate if they're not to get all of the stuff together to sell your practice? I mean, a couple months, maybe. I have no idea. Did you know that the value of a dental practice falls between 10 to 15% per week when a dentist dies? Mm, And that's, that's, and it's incredibly fast. And I, if you know me at all, you know, I've questioned that. I've, I've really questioned that. Yeah. But it's true. It is the dangest truth. I hate it. But it's because there are so many DSOs and other, there's groups out there that are waiting for things like this to happen right now. Not just DSOs, but small, smaller dental practices that may want some new equipment or to absorb your patient base and all that. And mm-hmm. I've seen them come to a widow and say, I will take the patient base off your hands. You don't have to worry about it. Just trust it with me. And the winner signs the patient base over. Mm. This literally happened. That's 85%, between 75 and 85% of the practice value. 
pages. Okay. So if I get a practice valuation and then I have it updated every now and then, it's harder to argue with how much the practice is worth. It helps keep the practice value up if I get this. Yes, it helps. It helps whoever your executor is. And I also, I want to talk about an emergency directive in a minute too, but while we're on the topic of evaluation, it helps your executor has that. They know what the value of your practice is. Okay. They've got the documentation to go with it. Okay. And they can let it be known that you're selling, that the practice is being sold immediately or however you want to do it. There's, when I talk, I'm going to go to the emergency directive now because that's important. The emergency directive okay. allows you to put in writing how you want your practice transitioned if something does happen to you. Okay. I maybe should have started there, but I always start with evaluation because it's, to me, it's still the most important piece of the puzzle. Even if you have an emergency directive and you don't have evaluation, you, I mean, it's still going to take two months to get everything or about two months to get everything together. You know, mm -hmm. it'll take a while. So the emergency directive, you put in writing who your executor is. You put in writing all of the details anybody needs to know to sell your practice. Okay, for the most part, except for the valuation. You would put passwords in there. Um, by the way, while it's on my mind, if any of your listeners want to go to my website at thedentalbusiness.com, they can enter their email address and download a copy of a free copy of a checklist for a um, emergency directive. Okay, so an emergency directive should contain this, 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 and this. It'll and tell them for free from you. Everything from your attorney's name and phone number, your insurance people, your, I mean, it's just everything. Who your supply rep is, who your equipment rep is. Anybody you need to know, a staff census, so somebody knows who, how to get in touch with your team members, you know, mm -hmm. and what they, I mean, it's things people don't necessarily think about, you yeah, know. Yeah, because and the practice, I mean, you just show up there and you're emailing your accountant or, or, you know, talking to your team member, but what would it take for someone, an outsider, to know what to do? And what about your bank accounts mm -hmm. and your credit card numbers? And all of the passwords you have, your social media accounts, your, your passwords, your admin login for the doctor for all your practice management software stuff. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff would be in this. And I've got a place for it. Is, um, if you, well, I say I have place. I also have the emergency directive for sale on my website. I wasn't going to say that, but I said I have a place for it. It's downloadable and fillable. I'll leave it to that. And they can... They can go look at it or not, but definitely get the checklist. You can do it yourself. <laughs> okay. So it's for free. So yes, you need the practice valuation and the emergency checklist. If you have those two things together, if something happens to you unexpectedly, whether it's just you're disabled or whether you die, it's going to do the same thing with the practice. Okay. Yeah. They can sell it immediately. In the directive, I have you put in there who to contact. you got to kind of name a broker or name somebody you trust in transitions in there. Okay. And maybe even locum tenums. 
somebody that can get, so your business manager can get temporary dentist in there to keep the practice going. Yes. This is not a fun topic. I know that, but it's an important <laughs> topic. I cannot make it interesting. I guess I could if I told you some horror no, stories. No, it is interesting. And we don't have to have horror stories. Just like, you know, it's good to be reminded that this is important and this is what we don't think of because you have seen it. Yeah, a 38-year-old dentist in North Carolina, female, had a heart attack and died. Wow. On, at, in her chair. Uh, who expects that zero people nobody expects that and the husband is mourning having to raise children by himself has no idea what to do you know with the yeah and then we have these people who are opportunistic come in and pick the practice apart piece by piece and there's no legacy left Somebody has the chair, somebody has the pan, somebody has some of the patients, somebody else has, you know, whatever. All right, let's switch gears to something a little more fun. Okay. Even though that was super useful. (laughs) Let's talk about, let's go back to my ladies occasionally fantasizing about selling their practice. And either just like working for the, the buyer or, you know, walking away with a big check from a DSO or like just, you know, I always joke with my listeners that I tell them that they don't have to own this practice. And if they wanted to, they could sell it tomorrow and then they could move to Montana and grow lavender for a living. So, you know, meaning, well, sometimes we entertain this idea of selling and being free. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's a good idea or a bad idea. I'm just saying it just enters a woman's mind because she gets a little bit overwhelmed with all the things she's responsible for. And what I want to ask of you now is what are some smart ways to keep our practice valuable? What are some smart ways to be prepared to sell at any time we might feel like we want to? Yeah. And that's a good thing. One thing, and I'm going back to the practice valuation, one thing that will do for you is help keep you and keep in the back of your mind what your practice numbers really are, okay? Okay. All right. So whether your practice is healthy or not, that valuation is going to tell you that straight up. But I would say keep a good eye on your overhead, a really good eye on it. That's number one, okay? I think it's very important. Know the healthy numbers. If you don't, I know people who know them I certainly know the healthy numbers but I got a feeling you do too just try to keep an eye on those at least quarterly if you can meet with your accountant okay Mm -hmm. some some people do it monthly but at least quarterly second of all um, make sure that there are systems in place in your practice for continuity continuity of duties for example okay for example your insurance admin, assuming you still do that in-house. A lot of people are sending that out, but your, or your scheduling coordinator, there is a job duty list or should be one for them, job description for them. Uh, I like to call it a how we do things around here type. Standard operating procedures manual? Yes. Okay. And it doesn't, we don't, I try not to use those words because that intimidates people. Oh, okay. so I, not you, but team members, it, intim- it intimidates them. Okay. And so I say, just 
for one week, every day when you come in, kind of write, write down what you do from the morning you walk in, from the moment you walk in through the end. There's going to be times during the day they forget. So if you, they will do it every, all week, by the end of the week, you're going to have in writing your standard operating procedure for your scheduling coordinator. Yes, for and your that, assistant, for your hygienist. For your hygienist, for everyone, every duty. Then either somebody, you can have someone type it up for you. You can scan it into something, but then you need to review it and make sure that's how you want things done. That's the best time to look at it and say, yeah, this is how, if I hired somebody tomorrow, this is how I would want them to do this, okay? Once you that's do good. that, yes, ma'am. I understand the value of having a manual like that. And I do have one in my practice, although I think it's like five years old. So it's probably like yeah. way out of date, especially in the front desk because things are changing at front desks so quickly, aren't they? But my question is, how does that make my practice more sellable, more valuable? Because they're going. one of the things that are in a lot of questionnaires for practice valuations is how long has your team been there? And how long, what are their duties? Um, when have you had anybody, when's the last time an employee left type things? And um, how far away did they go from your practice? Stuff mm -hmm. like that. Continuity and duties will help you sell your practice because it also lends to the value of the practice when evaluators looking at it. They're like, they got their business act together here. It helps. Just if get it. Just have it updated, but the I want to address that point one more time because this is what dentists miss so much. You educate your assistants and your hygienist. How many dentists invest, and I'm saying invest, not an expense, invest in the education of their administrative staff. Let's face it, they've got your practice in the palm of their hand. They yeah. more than any other person in that practice have your practice in the palm of their hand. Mm -hmm. They can make or break you. They yeah. can make or break the value of your practice. Yeah. Educate them. If yeah. you're afraid that they're going to go and leave you, if you educate them, then they don't need to be working there. <laughs> That's true. So, so. Wow. So educating the front desk staff, and the reason that's important is because that's buyer's perception. That comes to buyer's perception right there. Okay. Because buyers, when we're looking at the package, buyers want to know if the front desk, if the admin team is educated, if they're up to date, are they filing, do they have a copy of the CBT? I mean, CDT, just all kinds of things to show whether you've kept up, you yeah. know? Uh, just like when we look at an out accounts receivable report, do you know how much that tells us if I'm representing a buyer about buyer. the health of that practice mm -hmm. and the credits on the accounts? Mm -hmm. That's a biggie that people don't think about, the credits on the accounts. If there's a lot of credits on the account, automatically assume the practice is not well managed, especially if the credits go back years and years and years and have never been paid. I have a comment about that. Did you, and you probably bought it that way. Well, I bought it the way I bought it. There weren't a lot of credits. The AR was okay. It was kind of a practice where, oh, we'll bill you once the insurance pays what they're going to pay yeah. when I bought it. 
But now I do have credits on accounts because people pay to make their appointment, Mary. Is that a liability for me? No, it's not. But just know this. If something were to happen and you had to sell your practice tomorrow, you would have to write those. You, you have two choices. Either have whoever on your team write the reimbursement yes. checks to all of them or you would, a check would have to be written at closing to okay. the purchaser to cover yes. that. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. I'm glad that you pointed that out. Because um, so, that's something I wouldn't have thought of. No, that is that a lot of people don't, and a lot of brokers don't mm-hmm. even look at that because they don't have the practice management background necessarily yeah. sometimes. Right. But I know but, that the buyer is going to be taking that on. Right. Um, I mean, they don't want to, they don't want to buy dentistry that they owe to people, right? That's what it is. When someone pays me money so they can get on the, on the account, I mean, on my schedule, I owe that to them now. I now owe them the thing that they have prepaid for. They don't pay for the whole thing, but, um, I tell you what, our AR is sharp (laughs) because that's amazing to make the appointment in half when they have the service and then they're done. That's amazing. So that's very rare, but it's amazing. I'm glad that uh, you could, you should tell people out there how you actually do that because that would solve so many problems for docs when they're selling Uh, or yeah. Yeah. Let me talk about it for a second because it's useful for my listeners. Ladies, this is the easiest thing. And the best thing about patients prepaying is that they always take their appointment seriously after that. They have not fake made an appointment with you because they're trying to be polite. They don't want, maybe they don't want to tell you that they don't actually want that crown. So they go ahead and make the appointment and then they late cancel or don't show up. So if you have them put some skin in the game, they can have the skin back if they want. I don't hold that money hostage. If they ask for a refund because they just changed their mind, they can have a refund. But anyone who puts the skin in the game is showing up for their appointment. And that is the number one reason why we do that. How do you do it? Do you do a percentage of what the... Of their, of their portion. Okay. And another great thing about that is if this is a Christopher Phelps thing that we were talking about. Um, I always reference him when I talk about sales. When we talk about helping a patient's brain accept the, the financial aspect of the cost, you want to walk them down the stairs. So this is the full cost of the treatment. These are your discounts or your coverages. This is what we would ask for today. And we've made it a smaller number as we go. And then the patients are like, oh yeah, okay, that's not so bad. I could do that today. And so we have a little sheet that we do for treatment plans. It's not the thing that you print out from your practice management right. side. That is terrible. Everybody hates that sheet. Do not give that out to your patient. It's just like the total cost of care. And I don't list it out individually. It's just, well, at the top, we'll put three fillings and a crown or whatever. This is the total cost. This is what we think your insurance will cover. This is what we would want from you today. And it's easy to make a template for that. And it is. That, yeah. And we made it a local coffee works place, um, made us tear off sheets. That way we give one to the patient and we keep one to scan. Actually, we don't scan it anymore. We take a picture with an iPad for our, our software. And then we have, a, if they call later to schedule, then the front desk can go, 
I don't want to do this math. I'm just going to go look and see in their documents what we already told them and it's yes. already there. So, so, and then if they want, my assistants and my hygienists are all um, trained to take money right then and there. I don't have to hand them off to the front desk. The assistants know how to do it and they want to do it because they're rewarded every month on collections, right? So they're ready to help this patient go ahead and enroll in care and arrange for the care, including a deposit for my time. And then they leave with their appointment and they didn't have to wait for anybody. So it's a little bit like concierge level service, if that makes sense. And they're happy to do it because I made it easy for them. You, you said a phrase that I think is so important for all, the, all of your listeners to hear. They made a deposit for your time. Okay. Correct. Yes. So Not to reserve time with you. Yes, because that is what I have to offer my patients is my time. Yeah. And it's not any different. Reserving time with me is kind of the same as reserving yourself a massage or a hotel room. People give their credit card all the time for that. And so if you approach it that way with patients, and if it's not a big deal, if your staff is like, yes, this is smart, let's do that. Then the patients accept it right away. What if it is a big deal with your if team? If it's a big deal for the team, then we need to talk. Yeah. We need to find because, out what's yeah. in the way for the team member. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just curious because I've seen, you know, I've seen that. Here I'm interviewing you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're just trying to be helpful, right? So. Right. I think that. Nuggets, nuggets. <laughs> I think I think it is going to be very helpful for them because it's not a one size fits all. There may be challenges, but it's it's mm-hmm. doable. You just have to work around it. You do, and you do need the team to be on board. Like if the team is sorry or embarrassed that they're asking for money first, it's not going to work. Yeah, they need to hear the philosophy before they hear the order. Yeah. Yes. The order is collect money before the appointment. The philosophy mm-hmm. is you tell them why. Yes. Yes. This will help us with our cancellations. This will help us with your bonus. This will help us keep our schedule full. This and will help us keep our doors open. <laughs> exactly. This helps us pay your salary and sometimes your bonus too. Yeah. And, and if, if it's not a big deal for you, it's not going to be a big deal for the patient. No, it won't because they're going to see, they're going to see the um, belief in you. Um, no, I, I know you had another question. I don't want to interrupt you. I'm trying to remember what it was. We were talking about why a standard operating procedures manual. I know I called it that. And then you just rolled your eyes. That's fine. No, I didn't mean to roll my eyes. What I'm saying is I think that's intimidating to some team members. It can be intimidating. Yes. It's not going to be to you. It's not to me. It's just a job duty description, whatever. Through my years of practice management consulting, I learned to speak the language that they're going to, that team members understand you know, yeah, but I'm not trying to fancy it up for them, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. so let me ask you this, because you represented both sides and I'm just over here fantasizing about selling my practice and moving to Montana or whatever. And so what I want to find out from you is what do buyers want? They How want- can I make my practice wantable? 
Okay, that, that may be my favorite question ever. That's a good question. <laughs> um, well, for one thing, they wanna know that the, what the asking price for your practice is what the practice is worth. They're terrified of overpaying. Okay. Um, because as you well know, dental school debt is growing larger every year. They're paying more yeah. and more. I mean, somebody went up from 75,000 to 100,000 a year this year, one of the mm -hmm. dental schools. And they're not even, you know, there's nothing different happening. They're just raising the fees. And what do you mean when you say that is the income potential has not changed for dentists in years? No, actually, if anything, it's going down unless they're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, okay, so th they're concerned about that, the cost of living, blah, 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 everything. And there's, they've heard the horror stories about how other dentists have overpaid for practices. Yes, the okay, practices so they want the value. They want to know that the practice is worth what they're paying for. So evaluation, again, I'm back to that, is a good thing because they can look through it. Their CPA can look through it. Their lenders can look through it. And lenders will want to look through a practice valuation. Okay. okay. So they want that. They want a team that is... Um, that will stay. Mm -hmm. I want to see that there's been a little bit of tenure with your team. It doesn't have to be 30 years. It doesn't even have to be 20 or 15. If you've got people that have been there between five and 10 years, that's, you know, a good, that's a good thing. Um, the patients have built a relationship with them and they're, they've liked the culture enough to stay in the practice. Okay. They want uh, the overhead to be in line. Like I said, they, they need to be able to make a profit. Okay. Yeah. They've got to, there's no way they're, they can or will buy it if they're not going to make money from it. Right. And then they want technology. Okay. Like um, computers in the ops, CBCT. Do they care about no, that? Not necessarily that. Digital radiographs. Sure. Charting from the treatment rooms, yep. if possible. There's still a lot of that not happening. But at least, um, and a digital pan, digital radiographs, charting, um, team members who are very competent with the practice management software mm -hmm. so that there's not a lot of mistakes being made. Like I said, the AR in line, the AR tells them a lot. Yeah. Outstanding insurance claims tells them a lot. Delinquent yeah. accounts report tells them a lot. Okay. You know, things like that. Um, your overhead, how it's been managed tells them a lot. Now, mm -hmm. I want to say something about the overhead. If you're a small practice owner, solopreneur, whatever, we run things through our business, right? Yes, there's not a thing wrong with that. What we do when we're valuing a practice is we look at it and we go, oh, that's an ad back. That's ad. What that means is it's an ad back to profit. Okay. Oh, sure. Okay. So, so for example, like my trip to Seattle a few weeks ago, because I wanted to go do some CE and have fun. That, that would be, would be added back to profit. Okay. If, if it's a certain amount, now you are allowed a certain amount that's reasonable for the IRS to, for continuing education and stuff like that. All of that's fine. What the IRS thinks, what we're looking at is, is it something that 
is going to have to happen to keep the doors open on your dental practice. That's the real overhead. To me, yeah. Or yeah. not just me, to, to evaluators, yes. Yeah. That's what it should be. So I add that kind of trip with the majority of it will go back. I may keep a couple of thousand in there because you're going to have to have CE, yeah. you know? <laughs> but you don't have to go to Seattle to get it or to Charlotte no. or to mm-hmm. the Virgin Islands, but it doesn't matter. So I add that back to profit. I just want you guys to know it's okay to write that, to put that stuff through there that you can cell phone bills. If you've got a car that you that's over 6,000 pounds that you can write off, you mm-hmm. know, and stuff, do whatever you want to do, put it in there. We're mm-hmm. going to add it back we know what we can and can't add back to profit. So I want you to know that just because when you look at your bottom line and you've taken and you're showing that you made $59,000 last year, but you know you made a whole lot more, we're looking at, I will look at what you put in your personal um, retirement plan. That goes back to profit at what you paid yourself in salary and wages and health insurance and all the things like that go back to profit. Okay. That's good to know. So buyers want value and it's okay mm-hmm. to write off expenses because we're solopreneurs. Do they want um, insurance participation? They they expect it. Um, if they can find a practice that's fee for service, that practice is going to sell for more than a PPO practice will because it's at higher, there's more people wanting that kind of practice. So whereas you may see a PPO practice, and I'm not saying everyone, but you may see it go for 70, 75% of the last year's gross receipts. And there is no set number of that, by the way. I'm just throwing that out. But a practice that is fee-for-service that has the necessary technology for somebody who's been out of school less than five years, okay? Um, and who who has their act together, a good overhead, healthy numbers, that practice may go for over 100%. Oh, from an individual buyer? Yeah. Let's talk about these DSO buyers. Okay, let's talk about that because I was going to ask about that next anyway. I want to make sure your, your colleagues know this about DSOs, and you may know it. So if you know it, that's great but there's some who don't. When a DSO, and I'm not saying everyone, but the majority of them, when they tell you they're going to pay you 11 times EBITDA, whatever, do you know what that means? It, it, it could mean that it's, let's just say they're going to pay you three times your gross receipts from last year. We'll just throw that out there. Okay. Right. I want your practice uh, and we'll pay you three times gross receipts. Sounds amazing. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you have to stay on and work for us for five years at the schedule we set. We mm-hmm. handle what supplies you can order and when they're ordered. We have regional managers that handle that thing to keep things in budget. We're going to pay you 25% of your collections. If you meet our budget every quarter, you will receive a bonus that mm-hmm. will make that make up for that additional 10% you should get or five or 10% you should get of your, for um, your percentage. And we're going to give you 70% or 60% of it right now. 
and, and the rest, assuming we meet all of these criteria, you will get in five years. Okay, pause. So what you're saying is, let's pretend I have a million dollar practice. So they're going to give me million, $3 million, but right now they're giving me 1.6 and awesome. the rest is up to them to give me if I meet the right goal. I'm not even sure that they would give you anything more than 100% of last year's gross upfront. Upfront, okay. And they would take the rest, the remainder of it, as I've seen. I'm not saying all of them, but I mean, how do they make money if they don't do it this way? I mean, right. think about yeah. how they're- I've always wondered that. I've always, how do these DSOs pay so much? Well, it's because, the, because you're paying for your practice twice <laughs> because you're working for you're them earning, for five yeah. years for 25% yeah. on their, with their expenses, with them determining the, the supply, the supply um, budget and mm -hmm. the kind of supplies you have. And if you run out of gloves, they may make you go next door and borrow some if it's not in the budget for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that I know everybody's rolling their eyes. I know it happened. Okay. I have a dentist friend. They ran out of her size of gloves she had to go next door to another practice and borrow some because the manager over inventory said, we can't order again till next week. Okay, question. What about DPOs? Like, um, I'm not gonna say the name of it, but it has to do with an endodontic treatment, dental partnership organizations. Do you know anything about selling to them? Not as much, no. Um, I learn. I will learn about more about them, though. I don't know anything when it's partnership. How do I learn more about which companies are safe to fantasize about selling my practice to, and which ones to stay away from? You know, well, this is all in my head, right? No, I know it is, oh, but, and I'm going, the answer I'm going to give you, you may not, you may not love, but if I, if it were me and I was, if I knew nothing and I wanted to know everything, I would go to these groups on Facebook, the business of dentistry, dental nachos, for sure, those two, and ask say, please private message me. You don't have to put it here. I need to know what the difference is between these DSO. You can name some if you want to just throw some, mm -hmm. said, please, just please somebody tell me honestly, what is the difference? What, or what, what the deal is like with them. And then you can judge the difference. Or there will be some people like me. If there's, there's certain names you give me, I'll be, I can tell you exactly, you know, but I may not know all of them. Somebody else is going to know some of the others. Like okay, so um, so if I want to know like some bad ones, could I just call you and be like, Mary, will you please tell me which ones to avoid? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'll tell you. Okay. And I'm not even going to lie. What I'm saying is I'm not going to lie on your podcast because I'm sure there's DSO people that might hear this again, you know. But we no. didn't say them. We didn't no. say anybody's name. Yeah, we so didn't say everybody's name. safe. Yeah. yeah, we didn't. We kept. But yes, I can. I'm happy to tell you. I'm very happy to tell you. Okay. Um, the I mean, ones honestly, I know for fact, the ones I know 100 that what their deal is. But I can tell you, there. 
I don't know of any that go into this plan and to lose money. Okay. I was that, that is a very, very good way to put that. And I was told yesterday, but I have two docs, two older docs who are so sweet and they're ready to sell. And there's a DSO looking at them and they're a little worried about it. And, but the DSO is saying, well, the long, if they will agree to stay on after the sale, the longer they agree to stay on, the more we will pay them for the practice. Yeah. Not, and they're not going to go over 100%. I already know that. Mm -hmm. But this is, you know, in South Carolina. And okay. um, I'm just like, they, they're tired. One had a heart attack last year. They are tired. They want, don't do that to them. Don't say, we'll pay you more the longer you stay on. Right. So, yeah. Anyway. They might, yeah. That's so interesting. This has been such an interesting discussion, hasn't it? I hope so for you. Uh, it's in my head all the time. How does it so, feel to be so smart and so like to know all these things that you just want to share with all of your people, but you just like, I don't know, you, you know, so much and you want to spread the word, I but do. you got to find receptive ears. Yeah, I do. I, I want to spread the word and just, mm -hmm. I want female dentists to know that they, although it's still a boy's world in a lot of ways in dentistry, that's changing so fast. Don't worry, we're that, taking over. Yeah, we are. Um, there are a lot of people like myself who aren't as loud out there mm -hmm. in the groups. And but yeah. I know, but I know what I know. You know, Correct. it's it's yeah. I just I'm not gonna be a bully on a site to prove my point. So right. <laughs> I yeah. will answer Jim. No. You, no, you can once you know you're smart you don't have to be anything, but you, you know, yeah. you've got your confidence. So you're good to go. And this has been so helpful for the listeners. I'm sure it's been helpful for me. So um, your website is the dentalbusiness.com, right? It is. And that's where those checklists live. If yeah, the checklist. want that. Yeah. Or if they want to reach out to you and go, tell me more about this DSO thing, Mary. Yeah. Me get prepared. Then they could talk to you about that. Absolutely. Okay. This has been amazing. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to say before we close? Um, no. Also, if you have a question about valuation, because okay. a lot of docs have questions about those. They don't know even where to start with evaluation. Do you do that? I do. I do. Okay. But I can also answer their questions if they're not ready to do it. I'm happy to answer their questions yeah. about them and okay. what it would entail and how much it costs and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I think I want to do one. Okay. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I sure appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners do too. And I'm sure hopefully we'll do it another time on something else. Right. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Love Your Practice with Dr. Laura Mock. I would love to meet you. To join our movement, find the Facebook group called Love Your Practice and request to join. If you can't find it, just send me a message and I'll add you. You'll find me there helping all of my ladies to fall in love with their businesses and have a better life.